Hello everybody and welcome to the Horseman's Podcast. First of all, a huge thank you to everybody that listened to episode one and our introduction. Uh, we got some lovely reviews, we got some lovely comments on the Facebook page, and uh, yeah, it was just really well received. So thank you, thank you everybody that's that's taken the time to listen. So we are here with episode two and we're going to get straight in with some questions. Um, first we have a question from Shirley who is in Doncaster. And Shirley says, I'm just starting doing groundwork, but I'm using a normal head collar. Should I be using a rope halter for more control? And that's quite a common misconception is that the, the rope halter actually gives us more control of the horse than, than a regular head collar would. Now, if you watch any of our videos and stuff that you can see on the Good Horsemanship channel, we, there's never a reliance on the halter. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's certain things that we teach using the halter, you know, like our softness and our lateral flexion and stuff like that. But we're never reliant on the pressure. You know, when our horse is, walk, is walking, trotting out on a circle, we don't, we're not, we're not keeping a contact the whole time. And even when we're asking our horse to flex, there's a pre-signal that means that we don't have to actually pull on the halter. And, you know, once the horse really starts to understand it, it the halter is not really relevant. The, the thing that I find important and the thing that you see in my in my videos and stuff a lot, the thing that's important to me is the length of rope, not the actual halter. And that some people feel a little bit happier wearing a halter, and you have to be careful because there's a lot of gimmicky halters out there now. There's a lot of, you know, um, what I would call pressure halters. Now, I don't class the rope halter as a pressure halter because it doesn't work on pressure points, okay? Some halters you know they they do work on pressure points and they they tighten on a particular area or they've got bits that that stick into pressure points on the horse's face or some of them cut off the horse's airways when you bump on them they're just not not nice halters and the the thing that is so good for me about about a rope halter is that as soon as you release the pressure the pressure is gone there is no more and that can make a lot of sense to the horse if you use your timing and everything right. But it doesn't mean that you can't do all of those things in a, a you know a normal head collar. There, there's absolutely no reason that you can't do that at all. Sometimes if you've got a horse that's already developed a problem, you know, so you've already you've got a horse that's already kind of leany with the head and pushes on you quite a lot. It can be a little bit harder if you're using something that's got like a a four inch noseband full of sheepskin because it's so easy for the horse to push against you when they've got such a large surface area to push against but that's not to say that the the rope halter is in any way uncomfortable so the answer is no um you don't need a rope halter however it's it is my tool of choice but you should not be reliant on it it's, it's very similar um what I was talking about last time with the the lady that asked about the bitless um, bridle and if she would have more control or less control using the bitless bridle. And it, it's a very, very similar answer. It's just, obviously, this is on the ground and the bridles were riding. But if the problem is there, the problem is there. And, you know, you can get to the point where you're having to lead the horse everywhere in a chiffney. The chiffney won't fix your problem. It just covers your problem up until one day the horse flips over with the chiffney on. It's, you can't fix the problem without good timing and a good understanding of how a horse's mind works. 
Okay, and now we have Sue. Sue is on the Wirral. And Sue asks, in one of your demos, you talked about timing being important in riding and how bad timing can upset a horse. But how do you learn good timing? And the answer to that, Sue, is, is really it's just trial and error. And I think it, it can be disheartening to the to the average horse owner sometimes because when, you know, all my videos are edited, obviously, and it's not, we don't cut anything out. You know, most of the videos that you see are you know like an untouched cut obviously we edit them for sound and and picture quality and stuff like that but we don't we don't take anything away you do see the whole thing in 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 the videos but by the time we're at the point as a as a person and that's not not to say with a particular horse because i like for you all to see horses when they're at their worst and how i handle it and how i don't have to beat them up and all the rest of it but by the time, you know, you're seeing me, for instance, like the, there was a series on the channel um, called Teaching a Horse to Bow. Now, that's not something that I've been doing since I was a kid. That's something that I learned when I was in my 20s. But that wasn't the first horse I taught to do it. So obviously I needed to make sure that I I understood the variations of teaching it because it's not to say that you know, the person that showed me, showed me with one horse, if, you know, other, every horse acts differently to a particular thing. So, you know, some horses might be really trying and really kind of stretching and struggling because it's hard, but knowing that they need to get their knee down, but they, and they keep trying. Other horses might be fighting you and other horses might shut down. You've got to go about that in a very different way. Um, so, you know, it, I had to do that with a few horses before I was comfortable enough to go on camera and show you all how to do it. So, and that's often, that's the thing with a lot of professionals is you don't see the hardship. You don't see all the times that I got it wrong and you don't see all the times that, you know, I, I, I made a mistake and my timing wasn't right and all the rest of it. And that, that's, you know, and I, I've said it before and I often say it, I say I'm not the most talented, naturally talented horse person you know by far I'm not but I have a process and I I stick to that process like it's the gospel truth because if I I know that if I stick to that process with my groundwork with my ridden work then my horse is gonna understand and I, I'll I'll vary the process you know it's not it's not that every horse gets trained in the same way ha because if I do that then you know I'm gonna run into some serious problems but each horse will go through the same stage. So I fix any problems that, that come along. And then then I start at the beginning and work my way through. Now, if a horse has a particularly hard time working with their shoulders, for instance, there are a bunch of things that I can do to help the shoulders. But I, I'm not going to skip the shoulders because they find it hard because that's going to come up again when I'm trying to work on the ribcage or when I'm trying to do something else because it's a problem that I've skipped. So having that process is, is really important in helping develop good timing. But ultimately, it's just working with as many horses as you can, because every horse responds and reacts to your release in a, in a different way. And, you know, I, I'm at a point where I, I get on a horse, and it doesn't matter whose horse it is, I can ride them okay. You know, as, as in, 
the actual movements of the horse. You know, if I get on a big warm blood that's got a really big movement and then I get on a quarter horse that's really smooth and then I get on a Frisian that's really elevated and then I get on an Andalusian that's really elevated and then I get on a cob that's not, it, yeah, every, every one, my seat adjusts to that horse, but that's just from riding so many horses. A lot of people, if they've got a horse with a really smooth movement, when they go and ride something with a really big movement, initially it, it kind of surprises them a little bit and throws them out of the saddle a little bit. And it's just from doing it and doing it and doing it that your body becomes comfortable in adjusting to those horses. And it's exactly the same with our mind and the timing. So don't be disheartened, Sue, if you're thinking, oh, I can't, I can't get my head around the timing. It will come, you know, like if you watch, I think in that demo that you're talking about, I was talking a lot about footfall and how you guide the feet as they leave the ground. And that's a really good starting point. I, that, that demo is the demo of the bows um, on the groundwork section of the Good Horsemanship channel. Um, and the uh, talking about the footfall, even just being aware of it, you'll find that your timing massively increases, uh, massively increases, gets so much better just because you're aware that there is a point in which you push and pull and do all the rest of it. It's not just a random, I'll change my hands now. I'll push the hip now. I'll push the shoulders now. It's not random. You have to do it in timing with the horse's feet if you want to get a successful movement. So basically, to summarize, just keep doing it and doing it and doing it and doing it. I cannot tell you how many times I've got certain exercises wrong that now look really good. You know, like one of my kind of trademarks is the is the horse picking me up from the mounting block. A lot of people have seen that video that goes around on Facebook every now and again. Everybody's seen that video and thinks, wow, look at that. That's a really cool, cool horse, really cool trick. I can't tell you how many horses I failed with before it started to look like that because I didn't get my timing right or I'd allow the horse to get too close and knock me off the mountain block or whatever and eventually it started to click and I started to think, actually, no, that doesn't work. That does and that does and that does. I, nobody ever taught me that. That was just something that I figured out on my own and the the thing about that is that if when when you're out in the arena on your own, sometimes things might feel right and they're not. Other times things might not feel right, but they're perfect. And that's the that's the difficulty that you face. And that's why I think it's important to to keep in touch with somebody. You know, I, I've got people that I still look up to and still learn from. It's not there's never a point where you stop learning. And if you if you're at that point where you think, you know what, I'm happy with where I am now then that's when you're going to start failing because there's never it, it, it's like an athlete you know that the top 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 think uh like i'm a tennis fan um roger federer one of the greatest tennis players of all time still has a coach because if somebody does not keep reminding him about his form and doesn't keep reminding him of his technique and doesn't keep reminding him of this and this and this it will slip it's not like riding a bike you need to keep checking that everything is still working. And that is so important with your timing. You know, I go and see some of the people that I've worked with in America. I go and see clinicians that come over from the States when, they, when they're working over here. And all of these things help me to keep my timing good. You know, if I, I mean, I'm maybe at a point now where I can, I can correct myself and I'm lucky because I, I have the Good Horsemanship channel so I'm always editing videos and watching myself work and I can think, hey, 
you didn't do too good there. <laughs> or you should have released there. Or actually, you should have probably held on a little bit longer there. And I, I, I watched myself back, and I would definitely recommend doing that. Record yourself doing some work and critique yourself. You don't have to show it to anybody. Just critique yourself. And you might find that you'll be able to spot things. And once you can start spotting them on a video, you'll then you'll be able to start spotting them in real life. Okay, we have another question from Fiona in Buxton. And Fiona asks, can I ask about your... Well, actually, this is a two-part question. Um, can I ask about your steps for ground tying? If I ground tie Bob and walk away, he is hooked on and wants to follow me. Her second part of the or her second question is how do you feel about giving treats? Well, <clears throat> I'll answer that one first because that's probably a little bit shorter. The treats I don't particularly like doing it as a direct response to something, if that makes sense. So, like if, for instance, I use treats when I'm teaching my horse tricks, but I never use them to try and get them to follow the thing, if that makes sense. Like I've seen people where they're asking they're guiding the horse down and like when when i teach my horses to bow their knees on the ground obviously their back feet spread wide apart to support themselves and their shoulders and their head and their neck stay relatively elevated I obviously i don't want them lifting up because they'll be so hollow through their back that they'll hurt themselves but i also don't want them tucking their chin underneath themselves so that they're going to cause themselves an injury or do a somersault so and that's that's often the problem if you if you guide the horse down using a treat the horse is turning their head upside down and it's it's no good for them physically so i use my my typical pressure and release to get the horse to do the thing i ask them to come back up and stand up and then i give them the treat so it works really well as positive reinforcement the horse knows that they're getting a treat for doing a particular thing but they're not following it down and creating a problem for themselves um, another example of that might be if you've got a problem horse, and I don't get me wrong, I don't use treats for very much besides um, trick training. However, this is something you can do. It's not how I do it, but it's something you can do, is that you, if you've got a, a horse that's struggling to go onto a trailer or a horse box and you, you lead them on, and once once you've worked through it and they get on, you give them a treat. However, I would never do the bucket of feed shake it shake it shake it horse walks onto the box because you're you're reliant on the feed then the horse only got on the trailer because of the feed whereas if i could get them on without the feed and then they get a treat that's a different kettle of fish that's the horse went on because they chose to go on and you just happened to be there with some positive reinforcement you didn't bribe the horse on and then the horse gets on and kind of goes oh i don't actually want to be here eats the food and or takes a big bite of the food and then backs off again so just be very careful of the of when you would give the treat but i'm not i'm not against it i know a lot of people are like no you never never feed by the hand because they're going to create biting in the horse that's not true if you give the horse it, it's like um i'm trying to think of another example but if if the horse understands why you gave them the treat then they're not going to start developing a biting habit. If you give the horse a treat out of the blue for no reason, then then they will develop a biting habit because you've become a source of food to the horse. The horse is a grazing animal. They're designed to eat throughout the day. 
if you become a source of food to that horse, then they're going to get frustrated when you're not providing the food. And that's, you know, not a situation that we want to be in. Um, so the the second question, or the first question was, can I ask about your steps for ground tying? If I ground tie Bob, that's Fiona's horse, and walk away, he's hooked on and wants to follow me. And that's quite a common thing. So when Fiona describes hooked on, she means that Bob is happy to follow her around without the lead rope. And you can do that in a number of ways. It's kind of a byproduct of the groundwork anyway. And you can do it in a round pen. I'm not sure which um, Fiona has done. However, when I ground tie, and for anybody that doesn't understand, that doesn't know what ground tying is, ground tying is when you you leave the horse, excuse me, <clears throat> you leave the horse and they stay still while you go off and do whatever. It originates, to my knowledge, on ranches when you would get off a horse to doctor a cow, you would get off a horse to fix a fence, you would get off a horse to do something that you couldn't do from the back of the horse. And you would need the horse to stand there while you um, did whatever it was you needed to do. Um, for me, I like to drop my rein or drop my rope and I just give a little nudge. And it's a tiny nudge, but it's a signal to the horse. Just a little wiggle of that rein to kind of show the horse, hey, look, the rein is on the floor. And when the rein is on the floor, that's when um, they understand the difference. I do want my horses hooked on, of course, when I am doing anything with them. If the reins are over their back, the lead rope is over their back, they've not got a halter on, whatever, then I really need them to be, be to be there because I want that focus no matter what. However, if I drop that rein, that's a signal to the horse, hey, you've got to stay there now. You can add vocal cues in as well, um, which will be effective, but they'll only be effective until the horse gets a little bit worried and there's no body language that backs it up. So for me, I like to drop the rein, I'll move away from the horse, and if they if they do go to, to move, then I'll immediately pick the rein back up, move the horse around, make it not, not horrible, I don't want to whack them, I don't want to bump on them, I don't want to do anything like that, but I make it intense. So we'll maybe immediately start to move around in the trot, something like that. And then ask them to stop, immediately drop the rein, give that little wiggle, and back off again. And if the horse chooses to come towards you again, you do the same thing. Boom, 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 drop the rein, back off again. And it doesn't take long before the horse starts figuring out when that rope goes down, if I move, I get to trot around in circles. But if I stay still, she just walks around me in a circle. Or she goes away from me and then she comes back to me and then she goes away from me and then she comes back to me. And then as the horse gets better, you can do a little more with it. You know, you can start rubbing your flag on them while they're stood still and you, you start doing more while they're stood still. Um, but it, it's it's a very handy little thing to have is that, is the ground tie, it really is. Um, so it's definitely something that if you can do with your horses, definitely do it. It is a fab thing. But you also don't want to lose the the hooking on so make a point of picking the rope up again once you've finished not you know once you've done whatever you've done and the horse did stay still picking up your rope again giving them a good rub and then walking away with them so that they know as soon as you lift the rein off you off they can go again they can move again 
Okay, we've got a question here from Michelle, and I don't know where Michelle is from. She did not say. Um, but my horse bolted through fear and had no brakes at all on a track, so I couldn't circle to slow him down. He's never done it before. What could I have done? Now, this is a, a difficult one for me because one thing that I often talk about is that if I've got a horse that I've got any suggestion whatsoever, any inkling in my mind that something like that could happen, I would not ride them out of my property. Okay, I ride them out of the arena, you know, where where we are, we've got some land so we can we can ride out of the arena. Um, there's things that we can go up and down, trees that we can go through, things like that, which is really nice. So the horses can get ridden out. But we are relatively in control of what happens in there. Obviously, as soon as you go out on the road, there's traffic, there's drivers, there's cyclists, there's there's all kinds of things that can go on. On our property, we do have deer and we do have lots of different birds and rabbits and all the rest of it, but they can hear you coming from a fair way away. It's only really late at night that, that they come out. So um, we're, we're relatively in control. As soon as you go out onto the road, you don't know when a pheasant is going to jump out of a bush. You don't know when you know, something is going to happen that's out of your control and that's going to cause the problem. So this is, as I say, Michelle, it's a difficult question for me because if I had any doubt that I couldn't stop my horse there is not a chance you would get me riding them out of somewhere that's a, that's a safe place. I mean, I'm not sure what you did in that situation. I did actually um, message Michelle back um, because I said to her, you know, is there, you know, what kind of bridle do you ride him in and does he ever get strong in the arena and is he is he a horse that takes a lot of a lot of working to get him soft and stuff like that and Michelle replied saying that yeah she she'd had trouble with him getting strong and opening his mouth and stuff in the past which obviously doesn't seem like a problem because it's under control until the horse genuinely gets afraid and if I was riding one of my horses out on the road even if they did get worried and they ran forwards I know for a fact that they are soft enough that they don't even know how to push against me okay so they're only going to get you know 10 meters forward before i've i've managed to stop them and once i've stopped them you know chances are it was a bird or it was a uh, somebody on a path next to you or something like that that spooked the horse you know by the time you've got them stopped and they can turn around and have a look and realize there's nothing there that's a big confidence boost for the horse but in that situation it's it's too late, you know, it's something that I often say to, you know, we have people that come to my clinics and stuff that suffer with anxiety because of accidents or injuries with horses. And something that I talk about a lot is breathing, breathing techniques, things to help you relax if you were to start having a panic attack. And the time, something I say to all these people is the time to work on panic attacks is not during a panic attack. You know, if you've got to the point where you you know, you're, you're, you're struggling to breathe and your, your heart rate has gone right up and you're getting hot and you're getting upset, you know, you're getting really upset. That is not the time to think, all right, I'll, I'll have a go at these breathing exercises now. You, you work on those while you're calm and while you, you know, while you have a lot more conscious thought going through your head that 
when you get to a situation where you really need it, you can automatically help your pulse to drop and get everything back to normal. And one thing I always say that is such a big thing is the time to work on sorting out your panic attacks is not during a panic attack. If you're if you start working on it during a panic attack, all that's going to happen is you're going to get confused, you're going to get disorientated, you're going to get frustrated because it's not working, and then it's going to make the situation worse. The time to work on panic attacks is when you're calm, everything is is relaxed, and you can consciously think, okay, this is what I have to do now, and you think about your breathing, and you think about how many breaths you're going to take, and you think about your inhale and your exhale and you get to where when a panic attack starts coming on and you feel it coming along, you can start those breathing techniques and it becomes unconscious. You get to where your body can do it. It becomes like a motor skill. You can just do it. And then you you manage to, to swerve around the panic attack ever happening. And that's, for me, the exact same thing, the exact same situation with my horse's panic attacks I show the horse how to relax and be soft and have all the tools that I would ever need that if we ever get into a situation, we can, we can stop it before it becomes a problem. Okay, everybody, thank you for listening to episode number two. I hope you enjoyed. Please um, give us a subscribe, give us a rating and a nice little comment if you would not mind. If you did not enjoy it, then keep your mouth shut. That would be lovely. <laughs> um, if you have any questions, then please feel free to send me an email at joe, J-O-E, at joemidgleyhorsemanship.co.uk. That's J-O-E-M-I-D-G-L-E-Y-H-O-R-S-E-M-A-N-S-H-I-P. UK. If you would like to see where all the well, where most of these questions come from in the first place, then tune in to the Joe Midgley Horsemanship Facebook page on Friday nights at the moment. Friday night nights at 7:30 p.m. GMT. If you would like to see our live Q and A's, which is where these come from, don't forget if you're not already a member of the Good Horsemanship channel, go and take a look at that. There's plenty of free stuff on there while all this coronavirus is is still keeping us in lockdown. So go and enjoy the content that we've got on there. And if you enjoy it, then go ahead and sign up. Hopefully, I shall see you in our next episode very, very soon. Thank you for listening. <laughs>